This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to the In Focus podcast. My name is Jayan Shriram and I'm your host for today. In this episode we give you some immediate reaction and then a larger grounding by which to understand today's decision by the supreme court not to stay the sale of electoral bonds before assembly elections in crucial states like west bengal and tamil nadu today being march 26 so those aforementioned assembly elections are just days away from beginning the judgment of the supreme court said that the scheme began in 2018 the electoral bond scheme and continued in 2019 and 2020 without any impediments And so the court said it found no reason to stall the sale of electoral bonds now. So what we'll do in the course of this episode is that we'll go over exactly what the Supreme Court's reasoning was, what different sides argued in a hearing on this issue that took place just a couple of days back when a stay was sought on the sale of electoral bonds, and also generally where we stand on the issue and what are the various talking points that have come up in the preceding 3 or 4 years. In one way or another, the issue has been on a kind of slow burn since early 2018. Though a proper Supreme Court hearing on the various issues raised around the electoral bond scheme is yet to take place. This is the closest we've come actually. And to break it all down, I'm joined today by Surit Parthasarathy. He is an advocate of the Madras High Court and a regular columnist on legal issues for the Hindu. Surit, welcome back to the podcast once again. Thank you so much for making time for us today. It's my pleasure to be here, Jan. Thanks for having me. Right, so we're very lucky to have gotten you today. This is a um, there's some important news to discuss, and that's with regard to um, electoral bonds. The Supreme Court has uh, just today issued has refused to stay the the sale of electoral bonds ahead of the assembly elections that are just coming up, and they have found that um, in the preceding three years that these bonds have been in operation, there hasn't been a problem with their sale. So let's just start by discussing Surat for the purposes of this podcast and to remind people where we stand what are electoral bonds and then we'll get into what the supreme court said today sure uh, so these electoral bonds were uh, introduced in early 2018 uh, by way of a money bill that was uh, brought in into the lok sabha and there were amendments made to three different legislations uh the representation of people act which largely governs the conduct of elections uh in india the companies act and the fcra which uh, regulates uh, you know foreign money coming into india now uh what the scheme itself does is it permits not just individuals and body corporates but also every artificial juridical person to purchase bonds which are issued by the state bank of india and these bonds are issued in various different denominations of 1000 rupees 10000 rupees a lakh and so forth and they are issued at different points of time every year and these bonds essentially take the form of promissory notes so once a bond is purchased by a company or by an individual that person can then donate the bond to any political party of its choice and that party can then have the bond encashed on demand but the, but the important feature that comes along with these bonds is the complete anonymity that it offers to both the donors and the political parties 
so so the donors need not disclose to which party they are uh, donating these bonds to and the party is under no obligation to uh, inform the public as to who they've received these electoral bonds from uh, so it promises complete confidentiality at this level and this is how the scheme largely works uh, there are serious misgivings about it and uh, we can get to some of those misgivings when we discuss the supreme court's interim order which came out uh, today i think it's a quite disappointing order really because i think the scheme is uh, deeply destructive it's uh, it uh, is inimical to the functioning of uh, a democracy it affects the right to know and the right to information that every citizen possesses and i think it ultimately impinges on the electoral process itself because if a person is not going to know who has funded the political parties uh, for whom he or she is going to cast a vote for then it's impossible to exercise the franchise in a proper and true way right so before we get to um you know you mentioned that there are some problems that you'd like to outline in the supreme court's interim order um there was a hearing on this matter about 2 or 3 days ago and in fact uh, this order has come pretty soon after that so uh, what was that hearing about what were the issues raised yeah so the bonds itself the scheme itself was challenged in 2018 itself there were i think one or there were two or three petitions that were filed including the petition that was taken up uh, a few days ago and all of those petitions impugned the scheme as a whole they questioned the constitutional validity of the scheme but we haven't yet had a substantive hearing on that we had uh, some interim applications that were heard a couple of years ago where the court refused to grant a stay it instead asked the election commission to gather information from various political parties on the electoral bonds received by them and to keep those in sealed envelopes uh and then again now in view of the fact that uh, many states are going to poll soon and uh, these bonds are now going to be released again uh, in april applications were moved by the petitioner uh, which is adr uh, the petitioner's name is adr it's an association for democratic reforms and uh, in these applications mr prashant poshan who was uh, representing the petitioner uh, he had argued that the scheme needs to be stayed because of the fact that it has serious constitutional infirmities and that it virtually institutionalizes corruption and 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 the fact that we've not had a substantive hearing for 4 years now and that uh, given that there's no time possibly for the supreme court to take it up for final hearing immediately or at least the court's misgivings about its lack of time that at least the scheme should be stayed in the interim that was the prayer that was made but that prayer has been rejected by the order that the court has released today right uh, so you mentioned there you mentioned final hearing so um just for the sake of clarity for our listeners the, this is a this, there are other arguments to to be made on this electoral bond scheme uh, yeah. am i right and and so this is not a final hearing on the case but this is something that came up on a slightly urgent basis because state elections are about to happen certainly right yeah so so the final hearing would partake much uh, longer arguments much more uh, nuanced and in-depth arguments uh these applications were merely made seeking a stay of the scheme until the court hears the matter finally and fully now of course the court has at a prima facie level rejected some of these arguments that were made and i can come to that now uh it, what see broadly the arguments that were made were two or three fold right one as i said is the fact that in promising complete anonymity to the donors and uh, and to the political parties in terms of who they've received the funds from voters are being denied access to that information 
and it's not just voters that are being denied access but also shareholders of a corporation for example if a company purchases bonds and then disclose and then releases them or donates them to a certain political party the fact that it purchased those bonds might come, show up in its balance sheet but who it donated to is not made aware neither to no, neither to its shareholders nor to the general public and i think it's there are serious problems with that and, and there are especially problems with that in the in that the public doesn't know so just to kind of you know give you an example i mean now in tamil nadu we are going to elections soon now let's assume that the two big political players the dmk and the iadmk have both received let's say 100 crores worth of electoral bonds now as a voter exercising my franchise here i would like to know who's funded these political parties i mean what is it in, in what what is it that let's say certain corporate entities have which would require them or which would necessitate them to fund a certain political party i would need to know this information before i can go to the ballot box and cast my vote so absent this information i'm not able to exercise my franchise properly therefore there's a serious impediment to the right to freedom of expression that is guaranteed to me under the constitution and i think that's where the bond really fails now the government's justification for why it's brought about these bonds is largely on the ground that uh, it believes that this can help eliminate the infusion of black money into electoral funding but i i mean i simply don't understand how this argument makes sense i mean and it's not neither neither the supreme court's interim order that's come out today nor the government's affidavit kind of really explicates how black money is going to be eradicated by virtue of these electoral bonds now of course money comes in through regular banking channels but there's all kinds of ways in which black money is routed into regular banking channels that's where it needs to be shut out not at the level of you know ensuring or giving complete anonymity to the donors and to the political parties now there were some other problems with the scheme one is that earlier before the scheme was brought in there was a condition that mandated that it was only companies that had been in existence for at least 3 years which could make donations the idea behind this was that right. top shell companies from you know with, from being created just with a view to siphoning money into politics now that requirement was removed there was another requirement which prohibited companies from donating anything more than 7.5% of their average net profit over the previous 3 years this is again a condition that's been removed by the electoral bond scheme now neither of these conditions is tackled in the interim order that's uh, come out uh, today now the reason why the court has refused a stay of the electoral bond scheme today is one it says that it's already previously considered application seeking a stay and therefore it can't keep going into the issue time and again now what we must recall is that when the court took up these applications earlier there were hardly any substantive arguments that were made it merely said that it will not grant a stay for the time being it didn't it was not an order which was reasoned in any manner and it said that the elect uh, that the election commission can collect information from various political parties and these can be keep kept in sealed envelopes now i don't see the whole sort of point in keeping these in sealed envelope what is the court going to do with this information after all the scheme already promises anonymity you can't now undo that the only way of undoing that is by staying the scheme and the other reasons that the court says as and as you said in your introduction was that the there's you know that there's been that these things have largely functioned smoothly now i don't know what the court means by a smooth functioning that is a function functioning without any impediment of course the scheme was introduced in january 2018 and since then it's been released at periodical intervals and people have bought bonds and donated them to various political parties but the whole point is that we don't know who they've donated it to 
we don't know which company is donated to which political party which individual is donated to which political party and and we don't know what the quid pro quo here is at all and that's and that's i think the sort of crux of the problem with the electoral bond scheme now the other thing that the court says and this is really the only main point that it makes in terms of anonymity and i think it kind of this is the word for the trees a little bit on this is that it says that companies anyway are under the companies act mandated to maintain various different financial statements and therefore that on a you know that the public or shareholders can go through these financial statements and broadly get an idea in terms of the way in which these electoral bonds have been purchased and that it all it takes is a little bit of investigation at this level now i don't think it's anybody's case really that you know we should not i mean that in going through the balance sheet we'll be able to realize which company has purchased you know how many electoral bonds now uh, even even that doesn't make much sense at the level of the order itself because we can't possibly be going a voter can't possibly be going through every private limited and public limited companies balance sheets to to gather this kind of information to try and understand the amount of electoral bonds that have been purchased by each company that exists in india the other problem with that is that this is really not the crux of the argument at all the real problem with the argument is not knowing is not the idea of knowing which company has purchased how many bonds but is information with respect to which company has donated to which political party now this is the information that we need to know and uh, this is completely left untackled by the supreme court's interim order and the third problem with it is that it recognizes that the state bank of india which issues these electoral bonds has information with respect to the purchasers of these bonds and therefore at the level of state bank it's possible to conduct an audit for the government to kind of find out which donor has donated to which party but the problem with this is that it's only the ruling party that has this information in its hand which means that it is only the party in power at the center which gets to know which person has donated you know how many bonds to which political party the opposition has no idea who has donated to the ruling party they don't know who has donated to other opposition parties so all of this information is kept completely outside their domain of knowledge and as i said and and, and i hope i'm not repeating this it's just and i and i hope i'm not belaboring the point on this but the ultimate aim or the ultimate objective in a democracy has to be information about parties and information about candidates if i'm going to go to the ballot box and cast my vote i would like to know which person has funded which political party and i think this is essential information it's absolutely at the core of the conduct of electoral democracy right so surat um in a sense we have been kind of waiting for any sort of hearing on this issue for quite a long time now uh, you mentioned that the scheme started sometime in early 2018 so um this is a this is a kind of a you know a hearing just before state elections and um but the supreme court has expressed some views on this is that going to have an impact on any any final hearing is that something that we should even be um you know is there any kind of suspense on that anymore uh, no I, I, we, we we have no idea now when the court will take this up for final hearing it's obviously going to be pushed back into the back burner for now and but of course when the matter is taken up for final hearing the court is supposed to consider the petitions uninfluenced by its prima facie findings on the interim order it has to start from scratch it has to hear arguments on these various different aspects not just arguments on the uh, fundamental rights issues which i outlined earlier which is in terms of the right to freedom of expression in terms of knowing about uh, having information about political parties and donations that are made to these parties but there are also a few procedural issues at hand as i mentioned right at the beginning 
the scheme itself was introduced by amending three different legislation the representation of the people act the uh, companies act and the income tax act as well as the fcra so four different laws now uh, all of these amendments were brought about by introducing a bill in in the lok sabha as a money bill now money bills can only be introduced under a very limited set of circumstances which are outlined in article 110 of the constitution now these comprise you know features such as the imposition of a tax regulation of borrowing of money by the government custody of the consolidated fund of india the appropriation of money out of the consolidated fund and so forth the speaker of the house classifies different bills as a money bill and once the speaker classifies a bill as a money bill all it requires is to be sanctioned by the lok sabha it doesn't have to go through the rajya sabha at all now as we know between 2014 and 2019 during the nda1 government it didn't quite have it didn't have majority in the rajya sabha which meant that it was enacting a lot of statutes by introducing them as money bills and virtually circumventing the rajya sabha's uh, role and the supreme court itself has come down upon this practice and it's in fact termed this practice as a fraud on the constitution so this electoral bond scheme and the amendments that were made to these various legislation will also have to be studied from that context in the sense of whether it meets those various criteria that are contained in article 110 and if it fails that criteria then the scheme will have to go on that ground too so these are things that the supreme court will have to consider during a final hearing apart from the core objection to the scheme which is the fact that it guarantees complete anonymity and uh, it takes away from the uh, voter access to basic information which is uh, almost integral to the functioning of democracy right and just one other thing surit um you know uh, it has been a long time since the scheme was first introduced and one of the things that has happened between then and now is that there was an investigation uh, done by the huffington post i think about 2 years back that kind of exposed um many shortcomings with the scheme uh, do you want to sort of quickly take over take us over some of those um, the issues that that investigation brought up Yeah, sure. Uh, it was a ten-part investigative report, I think, which uh, the journalist uh, Nitin Sethi had uh, published in the Huffington Post, and he pointed out in this post about how various different independent agencies had expressed their deep reservations about the uh, scheme. Uh, this included members of Parliament. It included uh, uh, the Reserve Bank of India. It included the Election Commission, among other institutions. now the supreme court in the interim order does kind of uh, deal with this, these objections to a certain extent it points out that there were objections these objections that were raised but it points out that uh, the government dealt with some of these objections uh, in the course of framing the scheme but uh, you know if you go back to 2018 at the time when the scheme itself was introduced the chief election commissioner who had just retired at the time you know and who had retired after the scheme was brought in he himself said mr op rawat that there were many gray areas in the scheme because there was no ceiling on party expenditure and that the election commission was not in a position to monitor all of this and he's also pointed out a fundamental fallacy in this argument regarding black money because he said that there's no way you can be sure of whether what is coming in is black money or not because there's also secrecy of the donor and he also pointed out that there were amendments made to the fcra which now permitted wholly owned subsidiaries or or subsidiaries of foreign companies uh, which are established in india from also being also being eligible to subscribe to electoral bonds which then meant that you had foreign money that could potentially come in 
to to the coffers of the various different political parties. So the investigation by uh, Mr. Sethi in the Huffington Post it pointed out to various different uh, inconsistencies in the government's account of how it brought about these brought about the scheme. Some of this should have a bearing on the final hearing. But ultimately, of course, the Supreme Court will have to study the scheme and see if it violates the constitutional uh, mandates and violates uh, any one of the fundamental rights that are guaranteed by the Constitution, or it falls foul of Article 110, which uh, uh, describes how a money bill can be classified. And if it finds that it falls foul of either of those two aspects, then it must strike down the scheme. Uh, to me, it's disappointing that the court has not stayed the scheme in the interim. It could have stayed the scheme and placed the... Uh, uh, matter itself a final hearing at an early date because I think the scheme has been deeply destructive to the functioning of Indian democracy and uh, and, and to my mind there's there are very few matters that are more important than this in terms of uh, the future of uh, India's democracy in terms of ensuring that uh, our politics is clean and ensuring that voters exercise their uh, franchise with full information. Right, so so I think we've managed to sort of give uh, our listeners hopefully a sense of where we stand on this issue and what happened um, with regard to the court today. So let's just end this by looking ahead a little bit. I think you've covered some of this, but what do we sort of look ahead to as this case proceeds? Uh, what what do you think is next? I think there's very little to look ahead to now, Jens, in fact, because I'm not sure when the case will next be posted for final arguments because right. the court has already indicated that it's rejected interim relief twice. So unless the next Chief Justice of India as master of the roster feels that this is a case that deserves early hearing, I don't see that happening in the course of the next year or two. Or, I mean, we don't know when uh, the matter will next be taken up for hearing at all. So it could really be put into the back burner. And I think it's uh, the fact that it will be placed into the back burner is likely to prove deeply injurious to uh, Indian democracy. I, I, I'm, I, I'm unable to end on a sort of positive note on this because... Uh, I, I think the case is that important. The fact that we've, the Supreme Court has not stayed it, the fact that we are unlikely to get an early hearing on it, and the fact that it promises this sort of anonymity to the donor and to the political parties means that we're not in a position to exercise our franchise, uh, you know, and exercise our right to vote and our exercise our right to freedom of expression in a proper, full, and uh, you know, meaningful manner. Right. Yeah, that is indeed a somber note on which to end, but. Um... You know, we'll we'll do that right now and wrap up this episode. Uh, Surat, thank you so much for joining us today uh, and giving us um, this clear explanation of what happened with the court and where we stand on this issue. Thank you. We'll see you again soon. Thank you, Jan. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.